So tonight I will continue with my commentary on the words that are ascribed to the Buddha Shakyamuni. Uh, this particular text is found in the Magga Vibhanga scripture. In what practitioners is right mindfulness? There is the case where a practitioner remains focused on the body in and of itself ardent, aware, and mindful, putting away greed and distress with reference to the world. He remains focused on feelings in and of themselves, ardent, aware, and mindful, putting away greed and distress with reference to the world. He remains focused on the mind or thoughts in and of itself, ardent, aware, and mindful, putting away greed and distress with reference to the world. He remains focused on mental qualities in and of themselves, ardent, aware, and mindful, putting away greed and distress with reference to the world. This, my disciples, is called right mindfulness. So what I'm going to do tonight is I am going to give a, a brief discussion, a brief talk about the meaning of mindfulness. Now mindfulness is one of those words today that has become ubiquitous and there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means and so I'd really like to try to clear those up tonight and at the same time offer you some insights. Now this reading which some people would say is a bit plodding you know because the Buddha is repeating himself over and over again and that was something that the Buddha you will find often did or at least that's the style or manner that is ascribed to him in some of the old sutras. And in a lot of them, he really, quite honestly, sounds a bit like Yoda. You know, so he has this very unique way of, of talking or speaking. But he says certain things over and over again. And I think it's important before we get into the definition of what mindfulness really is about. And sort of clarify that. So he says uh, that, you know, you focus on these various things in and of themselves. So, in other words, whether it's the body, feelings, thoughts, or, you know, the sort of mental qualities we create out of those experiences, he's saying that focusing on them. So, what that means is that we are to pay attention to each of them individually. Secondly, ardent and aware. So ardent has a lot of different ways that it can be translated, but what it means, I think, essentially, is the idea that one is really engaged with their mind. They're really paying attention. The Japanese word for this is nen, N-E-N. And you often find in those writings, uh, Japanese and even Chinese writings, where that sense of the ardent nature of practice you're paying attention. Aware. Uh, it's interesting that the Buddha uses aware and mindful. 
So I think sometimes, and this goes to kind of the heart of my discussion, and I don't say these things uh, in any way to create um, any kind of wrong speech where some people might not agree or, or, or might find what I'm saying to be possibly in disagreement with how they viewed mindfulness. But I think if we look at everything very clearly, we'll find that the definition I'm giving you tonight is really more of what it means. So awareness is often how mindfulness is talked about. So in a lot of practices of mindfulness, it's becoming aware of these different things. And maybe aware of your breathing or aware of the present moment. The problem is that's not mindfulness. That is a part of practice overall. And you might even see that being ardent and aware is a part of mindfulness, but it's not the same. And too much today, mindfulness is being really put out there as primarily just a physical technique. So I want to try to clear that up. Now, the other thing that the Buddha says, besides being ardent, aware, and mindful, because in mindful here, and I think when we, we go to some of the other discussions uh, that I've had in the past about what this means, um, such as references from uh, texts like the Dhammapada or the Dhamma, uh, Chaka, um, Kapapatana, or the uh, Sati Patana, or the Abhidhamma Sutras. Um, that's the, if, you, if you take references from all of these different texts, it kind of gives you a better idea of things. But when he says putting away greed and distress, what he's talking about are the, the poisons of the mind. And he only mentions greed here because the assumption is, is that ignorance is already what's going on. And in some ways we can't be enlightened until we wake up to our ignorance. And secondly, what he's saying, I believe, is that the concept of hatred is something that follows from greed and that it's kind of hard to have hatred without greed. So that's my own opinion, and that can be argued, of why the Buddha talks about greed here and not ignorance and hatred, because together those are the three poisons. But what he says is, is essentially greed and distress. So what he's saying is, is that ignorance and hatred, along with greed, basically creates a sense of distress with reference to the world. And I don't know about the rest of you, but it isn't hard to spend a little bit of time um, online or in social media and not find yourself distressed with the world. So <laughs> that might be an easy way for you to know how mindful you're being if the things that you see and watch and read and hear online cause you a lot of distress. So he's saying these things over and over again that said he wants you to combine this focus on the body this focus focus on emotional feelings this focus on our thoughts focus on how that's all kind of packaged together in our mental qualities and he wants you to do with ardent awareness and to be mindful and so how do we do that so mindfulness 
is very simply, and I, ask, I get asked this question quite a bit, mindfulness is found, and one of the texts I mentioned earlier, the Dhammapada, in the very first words attributed to the Buddha called the Twin Verses, where basically the Buddha is saying that everything is made up of our thoughts. Everything. Everything is carried out from there. That in essence, it's how we're thinking that creates the way we're feeling, both physically and emotionally. And that's usually what leads to actions. And then those actions lead to consequences. So for the Buddha, the root of mindfulness is becoming aware of the thoughts and you might say the beliefs. When I look at the expression mental qualities, I, I think that for me that's referring to the beliefs that are created. When we understand this very clearly and very simply, that it is with our thoughts that we bring about our experience of the world, then that is where mindfulness comes in. And I think of mindfulness as a form of analytical meditation or contemplation. Now, there are many different methods and ways to do this. Our own approach is called the Four Directions System of Mindfulness. And we, unlike some other schools, really emphasize the thoughts creating feelings, creating actions, creating consequences. We really emphasize that interdependent nature of arising. And for us, the easiest and quickest way to really get to the heart of the matter is what we call the four questions of mindfulness. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole um, demonstration of what the four questions are, but the four questions of mindfulness, which you can find in uh, one of my earlier books called Free Your Mind, and you can find that on the website, AskSenseiToy.com. And that little book will give you all the practices that we use. But the essence is, I'm going to work with the things that distress me. And I'm going to mindfully analyze looking at my body first. I want to look at my body. How's my body reacting to this situation? The reason we look at the body first is because when we're little, a lot of the conditioning that we have comes about before we have a lot of um, understanding mentally. So we're absorbing our experiences but we're not necessarily aware of how to kind of categorize them, or maybe we just don't understand what's happening. I always use the example of maybe like a toddler and their parents are yell, the parents are arguing and yelling at each other, and the child, you know, doesn't know exactly what's going on, but it starts to cry, and it takes those experiences into its body, into its nervous system. So that's why a lot of times when a situation hooks us, the reaction we first experience is physical. And that could be everything from some sort of physical sensation, like maybe a headache or a stomach ache or back pain. Or, you know, could over time, if we don't deal with it, weaken our immune response. And so 
we'd also experience, you know, things from that side. So that's the first thing that we want to do. And in the four questions, that's the first thing that we do. We ask ourselves, what was the reaction in the body? And the reason we do that is so that we can find out if the body maybe sometimes is speaking larger than even our emotions. That's number one. And once we've kind of surveyed the body's reactions, then we look at emotions. And we basically ask, you know, what emotions am I having? And then once we have that, we ask ourselves, okay, here was the strongest sensation, here's the strongest feeling. What's the thought, or what are the thoughts creating those feelings and sensations? And then we find out what the strongest thought is. And once we do that, then we can look at the mental qualities that have been built up around this particular experience. Because this particular experience that we're having, whatever it may be that might hook me in my day, is coming into contact with all the karmic conditioning of my entire life. And so it's producing in me um, a reaction. Now, by finding out what that strongest thought is and then asking the four questions of mindfulness to that thought, I can very quickly and very readily understand what triggered it, why it was triggered, where the conditioning came from, and what I can do to change it. And as I always say, if you do the four questions correctly, you will always have some insight. Sometimes it'll be really a big shift, sometimes a little one. I have found that if you're using the four questions to deal with problems that arise in your life, you will find that by the third time you do it, you will have the insight that you need. And in the four questions, essentially, we look at the thought and ask ourselves, what is it about this thought that is not clear? And then we look at, in question two, what are the conditioning karmas that kind of helped form this thought that's creating this negative feeling and this negative uh, physical reaction? And once we've done that, then we look at how is this universal? Because one of the things we discover by doing the four questions is that it's pretty universal. And the third question always allows us to kind of examine and understand that this is not something that's unique to me, that this is something that happens to everyone. Now, when I'm going through that experience, I have a tendency to think that it's only ever happened to me. I'm the only person to ever go through that. And even though we might know on an intellectual level that's not true, we're kind of conditioned to believe that. We all have this conditioning that becomes very egocentric. And the reason it becomes very egocentric is because we experience a deep sense of separation. And that deep sense of separation we feel from ourselves, from others, from the world, that's kind of ironically or paradoxically what kind of pushes us into egocentricity because we feel alone, we feel separate. So we begin to really focus on me. Fortunately, what we find through the teachings and through the third question is that this isn't unique to me. 
and that of course the ground of our teachings is that we are all connected and one and that we are not truly separated except in our thinking the fourth question always puts everything together and it gives us some kind of mindful or compassionate creative action I can take so the four questions in our school, our, our tradition, uh, those questions are the best way to practice mindfulness. And I'm not saying that other practices such as meditation, um, such as, you know, practicing um, the precepts, um, the practice of liturgy, uh, all of those different things aren't also a part of mindfulness. I just really want to emphasize and hope that you folks get this tonight that mindfulness is primarily about examining our thoughts what is the origin of those thoughts how those thoughts can help us to understand our interdependent nature and how they can bring about insight and compassionate action that can change the negative conditioning. So I, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, you would think that it would be very clear since these are the first words that are ascribed to the Buddha. <laughs> you wouldn't think it would be complicated. But, you know, uh, people today in the modern world, uh, we like techniques and we like technology. And so, you know, mindfulness was kind of sold as a technique in the sense that, you know, it was about being aware and sort of breathing and watching your breath. But the reality is, is that that really is more about meditation and, and really less about the Buddha's teaching on mindfulness. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that was clear, cleared some of that up. And I would encourage you uh, to get the book Free Your Mind and contact us if you would like to go deeper into your own practice of the way of mindfulness.